This episode features dramatizations and discussions of violence and gore. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one myth about the Amorites. Today's episode combines elements from a number of legends and historical documents for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we continue our series on Biblical Beasts. You don't have to be a believer to marvel at these creatures. Whether they descend from the heavens or rise up from hell itself, the monsters from the Old and New Testaments have tantalized and terrorized mortals for centuries. Join me as we explore how these ancient beasts shaped mankind's view of the world. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we meet a tribe that blurs the line between historical fact and biblical mythology. They're the last of the giants from the Old Testament, an ancient and strange people who were said to be more savage than any earthly beast. Join me as we discuss the mysterious and misunderstood Amorites. Coming up, we walk with giants. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Christian Bible is full of stories of strange and brutal tribes who roamed the ancient Holy Land, but few are as intriguing as the Amorites. Named after the Hebrew word for Westerner, the Amorites were nomadic herdsmen who dressed in sheepskins, practiced dark magic, ate raw flesh, and didn't bury their dead. According to the earliest surviving records, they were first spoken of around 2400 BCE in a Sumerian text. Believed to have originated in Western Mesopotamia, or what is Syria today, the Amorites played the role of a terrifying other for the people of the Middle East. The tribe was known to show up without warning, then disappear as quickly as they came. 
But the Amorites weren't just monstrous in their ways, they were also monstrously huge. The Book of Deuteronomy called them the last of the giants. After defeating the Amorite King Og, Israelite leader Joshua was said to keep Og's bed on display due to its impressive size. Made out of solid iron, the bed was supposedly 14 feet long. An air of mystery surrounded everything the Amorites did. Even their identity was an enigma. Because the word Amorite also seems to have been used as a derogatory term for any nomadic herder, historians have few answers as to who they actually were. And so history leaves us with this question. Were the Amorites a warring band of bloodthirsty giants or innocent shepherds trying to make their way in an unforgiving desert? Perhaps the truth lies somewhere in between. Sumulael crept toward the massive walls of Nippur, scanning the dark landscape for any sign of the city's guards. Seeing no one, he approached the entrance to the citadel and ducked his head through the gap between the locked gate and the archway above. He grimaced as his shoulders scraped the top of the stone. The walls were built to deter men from the city, but the Amorites weren't men. They were giants. Peering around the massive stone wall, Sumulael could see the land hidden behind it was empty. The faint light of dawn bathed the pasture in a soft, bluish glow. Everything was quiet, for now. In a few hours, Nippur would be bustling. Sumulael needed a place for his sheep to graze, and it had to be early enough to avoid the Nippurian guards. He knew they'd attack the moment they saw giants. Sumulael's son, Ben, crept up behind him. Any guards, father? Should I wave in the others? Sumulael placed his hand on Ben's shoulder. The boy was 12 and already six and a half feet tall, a foot taller than most grown men, but the top of his head barely came to Sumulael's chest. Sumulael smiled. Then with one quick movement, the giant snapped the gate's iron lock. Sumulael turned to his son. We should be safe. Tell Jehaz to hurry. As soon as the sun is up, the guards will make their way to this corner. We don't want any trouble. Ben beamed at him, then ran off to the woods behind them to relay the message to his uncle Jehaz, waiting at the edge of the forest. A moment later, he waved the rest of the Amorites through. Soon, more giants emerged from the trees and made their way to the open gate. Sumulael did a quick head count as a dozen shepherds led their sheep through the entrance and to the pasture inside the city walls. If all went well, they would be out of Nippur and back on the trail before the sun broke over the hills. Sumulael scanned the walls above, making sure all was clear as the sheep grazed. Like any good shepherd, the safety of his flock was his top priority. Sumulael turned to his son. 
Ben cradled a newborn lamb in one arm, gently petting it with the other. His hand covered the baby's entire head. He could crush it in his palm if he so desired. But that wasn't Ben's way. The boy was tough and excitable, but he loved his lambs. Ben looked up at him. Father, we're twice the size of these Nippurians. You could conquer them with ease. You could even take out King Shulgi's army in Ur if you wanted to. I know you could. Sumulael smiled at his son's vigor. He glanced from the flock to the tops of the walls. They were still in the clear. Then he whispered conspiratorially, King Shulgi's army might be a bit much. That's 10,000 well-armed men, led by the most vicious king in all of Sumer. But the grasslands of Ur are tempting. Ben sat the lamb down. Its tiny legs wobbled as it tried to balance, and Ben helped it walk while he spoke. We could do it together. Sneaking around feels so meek, and our lambs deserve the grass in Ur. We should sack it next. Sumulael leveled his gaze at his son. People think we are monsters, Ben. We are simple shepherds. We don't need to conquer a whole town. We only need to let the sheep eat and be on our way. The mountain god does not ask for sacrifices, only that we take no more than we require. Be it here in Nippur or Babylon, we always move fast and we always move forward. Ben nodded. Sumulael knew it was a difficult lesson, but it was an important one if Ben was going to grow up to lead the Amorites like his father. Without warning, pain shot through Sumulael's arm. He looked down to see an arrow piercing his thick, hide-like skin. Sumulael's heart dropped as he spun around. Guards armed with spears and bows blocked the gate. Sumulael could see hate burning in their eyes. Fear and hatred seemed to be the only emotions that other people showed the Amorites. But there was no time for hurt feelings. The lead guard shouted, We've got those godless monsters now! The archers launched into the crowd of shepherds and sheep. Ben grabbed his staff and looked to his father. We can fight! It's just a few of them. Sumulael pulled his son back as an arrow sank into the ground, inches from Ben's feet. A barrage of arrows flew from the top of the walls. More archers. There were too many of them. Caught off guard, the Amorites had no chance. Sumulael locked eyes with his brother Jehaz in the distance. He pointed his staff at a far gate at the other side of the pasture. Jehaz, lead them to the gate. Run! Arrows rained down on all sides of Sumulael as he ran, pushing his flock along. He kept his eyes locked on the far open gate, their best chance of getting out of Nippur alive. Despite the Amorites' lumbering weight, their long strides outpaced the archers' arrows. Sumulael did a quick head count as his brother led the sheep toward the gate. One sheep was missing, and so was one shepherd. Sumulael slammed to a stop and turned. His eyes went wide, 
Trailing behind him was Ben, the clumsy newborn lamb cradled in his arms. The Nippurian guards were gaining. Sumulael shouted, Ben, hurry! Ben looked up at his father with relief. Then his face suddenly went blank. Sumulael watched as Ben tumbled to the ground, the lamb falling from his arms. A spear stuck out the back of his son's skull. Sumulael's heart swelled with rage. He raised his staff high above his head and bellowed. The guards slammed to a stop at the sight of the giant. Their eyes were no longer narrow and hateful. Now they were wide with fear. Arrows still rained down from Nippur's walls, but Sumulael didn't care. He wasn't running anymore. He clutched his staff like a club. He was going to savage every single one of them for killing his son. Coming up, Sumulael embraces his inner monster. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loie, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Sumulael screamed with rage, the pool of blood around his fallen son growing larger by the moment. He swung his staff against the ground, and the impact sent chunks of dirt and grass high into the air. The Amorite leader loathed violence, but the Nippurian guards were going to pay for what they had done. He was out for vengeance. Sumulael charged at the men, spittle flying from his mouth as he let out a war cry. The ground shook with each of the giant's long strides. Half of the guards fled in terror. The other half would soon wish they had as well. 
Sumula'el leapt in the air, his staff held high. He swung it down with all his might on a cowering Nippurian. He could hear his skull crack in two. Three more guards descended on him, stabbing his side with spears and swords. They were little more than pinpricks to Sumula'el's thick skin. He swung his staff sideways, sweeping the legs out from under them. Then Sumula'el ripped a spear from one of the guards and stabbed it down into each and every man's heart. Just then, an arrow launched at Sumula'el from above and bounced off his mighty chest. His eyes shot to the top of the walls. Three archers glared back. Sumula'el sprinted for the wall in two long strides, then jumped with all his might. It was an impossible leap for any man, but not for an Amorite. He heaved himself onto the top of the wall and then stood at his full height. His shadow cloaked the archers in darkness as they stood frozen, too stunned to move. Sumula'el wrapped a hand around each archer's neck and threw them off the wall. The third archer dropped to his knees and begged for mercy. Sumula'el's heart raced. He looked down at his own body. He was soaked in blood, and most of it was not his own. Chunks of flesh clung to his sheepskin tunic. His rage subsided. He'd proven the Nippurians right. The Amorites were monsters, or at least he was. Sumula'el then lifted the archer up by his breastplate until his feet dangled off the ground. He pulled the man close so he could feel the giant's hot breath and whispered, run and never stop. Tell every village from here to the sea what the monster Sumula'el did, that bloodthirsty, disgusting Amorite. Then he dropped the archer, and the man fled without looking back. Sumula'el climbed back down the wall and fell onto a blood-soaked pasture. He walked across the grass to pick up his staff from the pile of dead guards, then sank down on the ground next to his fallen son. Tears fell from his eyes. Goodbye, my beautiful boy. You will not have died in vain. A hand draped across Sumula'el's shoulder. It was his brother, Jehaz. He spoke softly. Your rampage woke the city. The Nippurians are hiding in their homes, and you killed half their guards. They are nearly defenseless, if that brings you comfort. Sumula'el looked up to his brother and sniffed back his tears. It did comfort him, and that didn't feel right. He thought for a moment, then made a decision. Tell Sihon to stay here. Jehaz protested respectfully. Sihon is our best shepherd. Is it wise to ask your fellow Amorites to stay behind after a battle? Sumula'el glared at his brother. We will not leave these people defenseless, no matter how hateful they are. We are Amorites. We protect the flock. And I just killed this town's guardians. Sihon stays. The rest of us march on. 
Jahaz nodded. Sumulael picked up his son's baby lamb and carried it away. Sumulael wished Sihon well. He knew it might be the last time they ever saw each other. Amorites did not often retrace their steps. They only moved forward. Then he exited Nippur's gate to meet the rest of the shepherds and their flock. Sumulael cradled the lamb in one arm and pointed to the southeast with the other. To the mouth of the Euphrates and the finest grasslands in all of Sumer, in Ben's name, we will conquer Ur. Jahaz's jaw dropped. He thought his brother had kept a cool head after his tragedy, but apparently not. The city of Ur had an army of thousands that King Shulgi kept ready at all times. Jahaz swallowed hard. It will be a tough fight. Sumulael nodded, eyes unmoving from the horizon. Ben wanted to know why we didn't take what we wanted. I told him that it wasn't our way. Now he is dead because I did not wish to be a monster, but the Amorites will be meek no more. Sumulael walked past his brother to the front of the flock and led his people into the desert. If all went well, they could make it to Ur in two moons. Over the next few days, Sumulael barely spoke as he marched his herd along the Euphrates River. Normally, he would lead the Amorites along the bank under the protection of the overhanging rocks, but now he walked in the open, leaving massive footprints in the scorching sand for all to see. The Amorites weren't hiding from anyone anymore, not even the sun. Flies followed Sumulael as he'd never taken off his blood-soaked tunic. Some Amorites whispered that it was barbaric, certainly not how the leader of a respectable tribe should behave. But Sumulael couldn't bring himself to wash his clothing. Respectability was something that he cared about before Ben died. Now he didn't. If the other tribes thought the Amorites were beasts, then they would act like beasts. The first morning after the full moon, Sumulael roused the flock early. He knew they had to be close to Ur. If his memory served him, it was just beyond the next hill. He sent Jahaz up ahead to scout their path. Jahaz shouted from the top, panic in his voice, "'Brother, you have to see this!' Sumulael's heart raced. Perhaps King Shulgi had already gathered his army to stop them on the outskirts of town. It wouldn't matter. Sumulael squeezed his staff tight. He was prepared for anything. He climbed over the peak and stood by his brother. He was confused. There was no army awaiting them on the other side. Sumulael didn't even see a city, just the lush marshland of the delta below and more desert beyond it. But that was impossible. Sumulael squinted into the morning light, letting his eyes adjust. Suddenly, he realized what had startled his brother. It wasn't a desert at all. It was a massive wall made of mud brick. The city of Ur was hidden on the other side. 
The wall was taller than 10 Amorites, with towers that stretched into the sky and spikes that jutted along the top like tiger's fangs. Sumulael couldn't believe it. There was no end to the wall in either direction. No gate, bridge, or even a staircase. Just the tallest, longest wall he'd ever seen. The flock crowded behind him to gawk. Jahaz said, It's impenetrable. Let's run the flock north toward Elam before King Shulgi gets word we're here. Sumulael shook his head. No. We are the monstrous Amorites, and we will not be stopped. Coming up, Sumula El comes face to face with King Shulgi. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the story. Sumulael led the tribe of giant Amorite shepherds down the hill. With their bushy hair and dark clothes, they looked like a traveling grove of cedars as they marched through the wetland to the wall that surrounded the city of Ur. A lamb trotted dutifully beside Sumulael. It was his son's favorite sheep. Before Ben was killed, he'd told Sumulael that he wished his flock could graze in the grasslands of Ur. It was his last request, and Sumulael was determined to fulfill it. But now, a giant, endless wall stood in their way. But Sumulael wouldn't let that stop him from honoring Ben's wish. There were no guards anywhere along the wall. Sumulael shook his head. King Shulgi was apparently confident that the wall alone was enough to keep out invaders. As the other Amorites slogged through the marsh, Sumulael's brother Jahaz whispered, What do you plan to do? We can't climb over it. Sumulael glared at the wall. When I was a child, this land was clear from the marsh to the city. There wasn't a river or a lake or a mountain in sight, just flat land as far as the eye could see. Jahaz stared in confusion. Sumulael smiled. It means King Shulgi commissioned a freestanding wall without a natural barrier, a hurdle that only guards one side of the city. Mortals may gaze at it and tremble, but we are Amorites, and we're going to walk around it. Jahaz grabbed his brother's arm, his eyes wide. If you're wrong, we'll have lost days going in the wrong direction. The sheep will starve, and so will we. How are you so sure the city isn't enclosed on all sides? Sumulael pulled his arm from his brother, annoyed. 
Unless Shulgi enslaved all of Sumer, he couldn't have built a fortress this impressive. He then raised his staff and shouted, Shulgi, your armies and your wall will fall. The Amorites are coming for you. He smacked his staff against the wall. As the sound echoed across the marsh, Sumula'el cut through the flock to the front. His staff was still covered in blood, and pieces of Nippurian hair and his tunic was dyed crimson. Sumula'el knew he looked like something out of a nightmare, and he wanted to be the first face the Orite soldiers saw. Sumula'el marched his men all day long, knocking his tree trunk-sized staff against the base of the mud-brick wall as he went. One by one, all of the Amorites followed suit, until dozens of staffs were wrapping away at the wall as they walked. As dusk fell, a lone guard peeked over the top of the fortress to see what the noise was. Sumula'el pointed his staff at the guard and growled. The guard quickly retreated from sight. At sunset, Sumula'el had the Amorites set up camp, but he didn't sleep. He sat up all night, his eyes never moving from the wall. Occasionally, a guard peered over the top, and Sumula'el would simply glare back. The next morning, he had the Amorites up before dawn. The guard had returned and was leaning over top of the wall. But this time, he wasn't alone. He was flanked by two archers, and their bows were trained on Sumula'el. Jahaz rushed to his brother's side and asked what they were going to do. The Orite soldiers had the high ground, and they were armed. Sumula'el kept his eyes locked on the archers. He picked up his staff, pulled off a chunk of Nippurian scalp that dangled off of the end, and flung it up at the guards. The scalp plopped right onto a guard's face. The man shrieked in terror. Sumula'el laughed. We will do nothing. Don't you see? These men are terrified of us. Sumula'el marched the Amorites for five more days. Each morning, more archers appeared on the top of the wall. Cautiously peering over the ledge, their eyes filled with terror as they gazed down at the giants below. Sumula'el never spoke. He communicated with other Amorites through grunts and by pointing. His staff was never far from the wall, tapping it constantly. On the seventh day, Sumula'el awoke to a cool breeze ruffling his hair and Ben's lamb staring at him with curiosity. Sumula'el blinked. He hadn't felt wind since they trekked through the marsh. He sat up and looked to the wall. In the distance near the horizon, it appeared as though dust was blowing through the structure. But that was impossible. Sumula'el smiled. They had made it. The end of the wall was in sight. Sumula'el turned his eyes to the top of the wall. 
The archers and guards were gone. King Shulgi had recalled them all. Surely he was gathering his army. Sumulael had to do the same. He awoke the rest of the Amorites by slamming his staff against the brick. With a deep, soul-rattling scream, Sumulael shouted, Prepare for war! The Amorites followed their leader, pounding on the wall as hard as they could. It sounded like an earthquake rolling through the marsh. The tiny trees next to the river shook, trembling like scared Orite guards. Sumulael pointed his staff to the end of the wall and the entrance to Ur. This is for Ben. The Amorites will never run from a fight again. Kill everyone you see until giants rule this land. Sumulael and his men charged, and their stampede kicked up a dust storm. Sumulael's heart raced, caked in grime and blood. He turned the corner of the wall, his staff raised high in the air as he unleashed a guttural roar. He was ready to fight the entire Arite army himself. But as he stepped out of the dust into the pristine grassland, there were no archers waiting on the other side, no guards or sentries or watchmen. Of the thousands that made up the army of Ur, not a single soldier awaited. Only King Shulgi bowed down on one knee. Shulgi lifted his eyes reverently to the giant, Please have mercy on us. We are but men. We have heard the tales of the mighty Amorite giants, devourers of raw flesh and conquerors of all. We know you've come here to ravage us. Sumulael narrowed his eyes. He was deeply confused, but he kept his voice at a low growl. We do not care about you or your people. We've only come to graze. Then we will be passing through. King Shulgi clasped his hands together in prayer. Praise you. Stay as long as you like. All we have is yours. But please, spare my men. Perhaps this is human weakness, but they are my people. I cannot let them be hurt. Sumulael stood over the tiny king, stunned. He realized he had felt the same way about his people, and now here he was, leading them to a needless battle, only to be met by a single puny man. A strange laugh escaped Sumulael's throat. King Shulgi smiled back a little too eagerly, so Sumulael glared until his grin vanished. Sumulael waved his hand dismissively at the king, and Shulgi ran back to the gate of the actual city. Ur looked so small now in Sumulael's eyes. It was no great threat. It never had been. The Amorites wandered across the grassland, delighting in their peaceful victory. Their reputations preceded them. Sumulael's lone outburst of rage in Nippur had saved them from another battle, possibly all future battles too. 
Sumula El closed his eyes, breathed in the sweet air of Ur, and thanked the mountain god that he no longer had to be violent. He felt a nuzzle against his calf and looked down to see that Ben's little lamb had wobbled up to him. Sumula El scooped up the lamb, scratched its ears, and chuckled. In a way, Ben was right. Sumula El was able to care for his flock and defeat Shulgi all on his own. Only he didn't have to raise a single giant finger to do it. In ancient texts, the Amorites were almost always portrayed as a biblical other. They were strange and threatening foreigners who didn't make holy sacrifices and left their dead where they fell. Godless savages to be feared or conquered. But there are always two sides to a story, and without a history of their own, the Amorites are only remembered by what their enemies wrote about them. They may have been violent, but that was likely true for any sect of nomadic herders in the 3rd millennium BCE. It was a dangerous job at a time when the new city-states that dotted the Fertile Crescent were wary of strangers. Resources were precious, and they couldn't risk being overrun by outsiders. Which is eventually what happened in the city of Babylon. In 1894 BCE, the Amorites settled there and quickly took over the kingdom. But despite their supposedly barbaric reputation, the Amorites did not force their ways on the Babylonian people. Instead, they appear to have adopted the Babylonians' customs. The most famous Amorite, Hammurabi, was known for his relatively fair treatment of the subjects he ruled over. Hammurabi's code was one of the first written lists of laws and featured standards of justice for locals and foreigners. But after Hammurabi, the Babylonian Empire fell apart and the Amorites were lost to history. The Amorites disappeared as quickly as they appeared in ancient records, and centuries of hearsay resulted in the tales of bloodthirsty giants seen in the Bible today. Still, while they were certainly not giants, they were real. With no surviving written history of their own, it was up to others to track the Amorite ways and culture. And when a culture isn't allowed to tell their own story, the truth often gets distorted in massive, monstrous ways. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another biblical beast. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Alexandra Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 